0: Well, you guys have been hearing like my favorite summer songs all summer long. Um, you didn't know that I was inflicting you or afflicting you with all of my, uh, my, my music preferences. But that's my favorite version of that song. That's Tom Cochrane, not Rascal Flatts singing that. Anyways, um, that's neither here nor there. That's my favorite version of the song. Um, well, this morning, we're in the last week of our series. Uh, road trip through Romans. Uh, The book of Romans is certainly not over. We're in the 12th chapter, um, and and we selected this to be the last week of our series very meaningfully and very purposefully. Um, But next week, we kick off a new series. But in the meantime, I want to encourage you to take some time this week and read back through Paul's letter to the Romans. There's so much in the letter that we didn't get to cover, that we didn't get to address, that we didn't get to talk about. And so I want you uh, to very intentionally Do that this week, okay? Can you commit to doing that? Yeah? Yeah? All right. Like six of you. All right. Alright, you guys can do this. Paul's letter to the Romans. It's not that long. It's a great read. It's a pretty easy read, so I want to encourage you to do that. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 9 and going all the way to verse 21. And, and the version I'm going to be reading from this morning is called The Message. It's a paraphrase. Um, it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase of the scripture text. So here are these words uh, from Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, love from the center of who you are, don't fake it, run for dear life from evil, hold on for dear life to good, be good friends who love deeply, practice playing second fiddle, don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled and aflame, be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant, don't quit in hard times, pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in your hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy. Share tears when they're down. Get along with each other and don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Do you pray with me this morning? God, help us to let these words sink into our hearts and into our lives, Lord. Help us to give all that we have in response to all that you are and all that you've done. So we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, school started back for my daughter last Friday. Uh, It was her first day of school ever. She's in kindergarten, and so that was exciting uh, because she got to go to Miss Pam Lamb's class. And so she thought that was a funny name, Pam Lamb, because it rhymes. And so she's in Miss Pam Lamb's class at Brooklyn Elementary School, um, and she's telling us all about it. She's fired up. And every class, and you probably have experienced this for yourself, every class has rules. Teachers, do you have rules in your class? Did you go over them the first day of school? Yeah, you went over them the first day of school. And so I remember every first day of school that I had, the teacher very distinctly saying, these are the rules for the class. Here's the five rules. Number one, no cussing, no spitting, no hitting, no fun, no fighting, no ugliness, no funniness, no fun. Anyway, that wasn't the rules, but you know how they go, right? Be quiet. If you have a question, raise your hand. You know these rules. You know these rules. Those rules, they govern and they dictate, they govern and they dictate how things are going to go inside the classroom. You don't have those five rules that are up on the wall and everything goes to pandelirium, right? It goes to chaos inside the classroom unless you have rules established for how you're going to act, what you're going to do, how you're going to be. Now, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he has spent the past 11 and a half chapters talking about what God has done through Jesus Christ. He's talked about how God sent his son as a sacrifice for sin. And because of that sacrifice, we are raised to life with Christ so that we can be in a relationship with God. He's gone all the way through this, from the very beginning to the the very end. And he finally gets to the middle of chapter 12 in the letters of the Romans. And he, he writes out the rules. He writes out the rules for his community for how people should act, how, not just people, how Christians should act when their lives are transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. See, that's where Paul begins in chapter 12. He begins with words about being transformed, being made new, being renewed by Christ. Well, as I said, it's the start of school, so I'm going to ask you, A school question. Are you ready? This is going to be tough. Do you all remember physics? Anybody remember physics? Don't lie, nobody remembers physics. All right. (laughs) Some of you are engineers and you're like, I I do physics all the time. Um, Thank you for not letting the roads collapse for us. Do Do you remember Newton's third law of motion? Newton's third law of motion. Anybody got it? Okay, tell us every action has an equal and opposite reaction now you yeah that's awesome that's awesome all right that's our physics for the day every action has an equal and opposite reaction and some of you some of you were like what in the world how am i ever going to use that in my life you've seen this demonstrated friends you've seen this on your boss's desk demonstrated haven't you You remember those things? It's like six stainless steel balls and you pull the one ball off and you let go and it slams into the other balls and the ball at the other end goes shooting off. You remember that? Here, take a look. This is what I'm talking about. Can you play the video? This is uh, is the, yep, that's it right there. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. The ball on one end slams into the string of balls. It shoots the ball off on the other end. That's like 18 hours of fun right there. I'm not even kidding. This is just the beginning, friends. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're not even <laughs> Oh, and then you go do something like that. Thanks a lot. No, that's that's a demonstration of Newton's third law of motion that every action has an equal and opposite Reaction. Well, imagine just for a moment, because some of you are like, what the heck does this have to do with with Paul and the Romans? And what does this have to do with me and life and faith? What does this have to do with anything? Well, imagine for a minute that instead of just six balls, uh, stainless steel balls sort of lined up in a row and you drop the one, imagine that instead of six, there are like nine billion of those stainless steel balls in a row. And your life is at the very end. Your life, your person, who you are, your being is at the very end. You are the red ball. And your life, when it's pulled back and let go, it goes slamming into the other balls, right? Causing a chain reaction. Causing a chain reaction, a transfer of energy that moves from one end all the way to the other end. Y'all, as Christians, we miss this all the time. We miss this all the time, this idea, this truth that for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, that for every choice that you make as a follower of Jesus Christ, that every choice you make has a consequence. Everything that you do makes an impact on someone else. Every choice, every action, every inaction makes a difference. It makes an impact. It makes an impact. Every choice you make has consequences, and those consequences affect the impact that your life is making on this world. That's why Paul is so particular in Romans 12, 1 and 2 to say to us that we should, in view of God's mercy, offer our bodies, our lives, as living sacrifices. This is our act of worship, Paul says, and that we should no longer be conformed to the pattern or the mold of this world, but instead be transformed. That's where Paul begins This chapter saying we should offer ourselves and live differently in the world. When I hear that, I hear Paul telling me that my life is, first of all, it's going to make an impact. It's going to collide with people everywhere. At all times and in all places, my life is going to make an impact on this world. And because of that, my impact, my life should be molded and shaped by my faith in Jesus Christ as a Christian. Your life should make a different sort of impact. It should stand out, it should be different than the impact that the Rotary Club members make. Sure they make an impact, but a Christian impact is different. It's different than the impact that your your office staff makes on the world. Your Christian impact is different because who you are is molded by Christ and that affects what's happening inside of your heart and should be affecting what's happening outside in your life. This is what Paul is getting at in Romans 12. Paul would tell us that since we've given our lives to Jesus Christ, our minds, our hearts, our lives as a whole, they have been renewed. They've been renewed by him. They've been transformed by him, and we should be living differently than the world around us. And Paul gets at that in this text this morning, doesn't he? This is what Paul's getting at. He's saying, listen, if your individual lives have been transformed, imagine what your community life should look like. Imagine what your church life should look like. If your lives as followers of Jesus Christ have been made new, Then that means the life of your church, the life of your community of faith should stand out and should stand apart and be different. The Rotary Club's impact should look different than the church's impact. The church's impact should look different than the Kiwanis Club. We're going to be equal opportunity offenders. I don't know what group you're a part of. But the church's impact on the world should be different. Our impact on the world should be different. And Paul gets in that in this text. He's saying this is how you should live if you're someone who's given their life to Jesus Christ. First and foremost, you love people. You love people. You cling to what is good and you run like heck from evil. You love people. You cling to good. You run from evil. You don't burn out. You don't hit back. You overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good. If you're looking for a theme for this passage, the driving force, the common thread throughout this entire passage is the impact of God's love on our life. The grace of God expressed in our life and through our life. Because it's the love of God that allows you and I to love others. It's the love of God that allows you and I to flee evil and cling to what is good. It's the love of God that keeps you and me from burning out. It's the love of God that helps you bless your enemies when it would be much easier, much more convenient to curse those who are around you. It's the love of God that keeps you and me from hitting back, from causing more damage to people who have wronged you. But what you've got to understand is that the love of God in your life is not some ethereal notion or some sort of feeling it's something that's happening inside of you that must be expressed it must be expressed if you've given your life to christ then the consequence of that choice has to be expressed not only the very core of who you are but in every action in every choice In every moment, in every situation, I want the impact my life makes to be tempered by the love of God. Because that's the core of who God is. God is love and Christ has loved me so I will love God and I will love people. We are called, we are called, you as a Christian are called to love people. Do you know why? Do you know why? It's because that's what Jesus did. Think back on Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. Where do you see him? Who do you see him with? You always see him with people who have a past. Raise your hand if you have a past. Don't raise your hand if you have a past. We all have a past. You see Jesus hanging around with people who are demon-possessed and who have disease and, and with a family who's mourning a dead man. You see him with the rich and powerful, and you see him with the poor and the weak and the lowly. You see Jesus with real people in real situations, loving on them, caring for them, lifting them up, strengthening. I want you guys to do something for me this morning. Look at your neighbors. Look at your neighbors. okay. All right, you look at your neighbors. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. Okay, that was almost terrible. (laughs) Here's how this is going to work. Here's how this is going to work. Y'all need to stand up. Stand up. Okay, stand up. Look at your neighbors. Go to them. They're on your road. Tell them, I love you. See, that's what I'm talking about, y'all. This is what the love of God does. This is how the community of faith, you guys can have a seat, the community of faith looks and should look and should operate. We should be welcoming people. We should be telling people, man, I love you. Do you know why? Because God is working on you and God is working in your life and you're here for a reason and for a plan and for a purpose and you're welcome here. You're welcome to be a part of this because guess what? We're all striving toward that too. We're all, we're all in this Together, our impact as a church, can you imagine, can you imagine what our impact as a church would be if we greeted the world the way that you just greeted each other? Can you imagine the impact of this church if we greeted the campus with the same love that you just greeted one another with? Can you imagine the impact if we greeted the poor? and the hurting and the broken and the lost in Statesboro with the same love that you just expressed to one another. Because you know what? The world's looking for what you just did. They're looking. They're searching high and low to find just what you did. Someone to say, hey, you know what? I love you and I mean it. Thick and thin, I love you and I mean it. That's why life groups are so important. That's why life groups are so important. That's why fellowship and being a part of more than just Sunday morning church is so important so that you can hear over and over again, you know what, God loves you and we love you and we're here for you and we're going to do this together. I'm not going to let you fail. I'm not going to let you fall. I'm not going to let you be hurt. And if you do fail and if you do fall and if you are hurt, you know what, I'm going to stand there beside you because we're a family and because we love one another and primarily first and foremost we love God we love God and everything we do is a response to the fact that he sent his son to live with us to die for us and raise so that we could have life with him transformed lives transformed lives they bear witness God's love and they share that love in community and in the world and because we have received grace we share grace because we have received love we share love because we have received mercy we share mercy with each other and with the whole world that's what it means to live transformed lives together I want to share with you some words from one of my favorite theologians. If you follow me on Facebook, you get heavy doses of of this guy um, because he's one of my favorite people that I read. His name's Henry Nowen, and I'm not going to go into details about who he is and why he's important, but I want you to hear what he has to say about this, this idea, about our witness and our impact in the world. This is what Nowen says. He says, Jesus' whole life, his whole life was a witness to his father's love. And Jesus calls his followers, that's you and me, that's us, that's this room individually and together. Jesus calls his followers to carry on that witness in his name. We, as followers of Jesus, are sent out into the world to be visible signs of God's unconditional love. Thus, we are not, first of all, judged by what we say but by what we live. Parentheses, the impact our lives individually make and our lives together make. When people say of us, see how they love one another, they catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God that Jesus announced and are drawn to it as by a magnet. In a world so torn apart by rivalry, by anger and hatred, We have the privileged vocation to be signs, living signs, of a love that can bridge all divisions and heal all wounds. The world is looking for someone, for some place, for some people to embrace them the way you embraced one another earlier the way you welcomed one another earlier. The world's looking for it. And Jesus calls us to be salt for the earth and light for the world. To give flavor to the blandness of our culture and to give light in the dark places of our community. Will you live a transformed life Will you allow God to transform the impact that your life is making? That the world might be drawn to your Savior, to Jesus Christ, to the one who has set us all free. Will you let it happen? I hope you will. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. For today. We thank you that you've drawn us together to experience your love and to share your love with the world. Remind us, God, remind us that we are here for a purpose, that we are here to make a difference, that we are here to change the temperature in whatever room we are in, God, so that your presence, so that your light and so that your life can be made real in this world. God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship, to offer the whole of who we are to you once again. Accept this offering, God. Accept our lives that we might be fully devoted to you and to your purpose and to your plan. Amen.